uh, a five-year-long job, very well done. And now, um, that said, this is a good show to do for our anniversary. And the reason is, Michael Murcock, who lives in Texas, by the way, uh, down down in Austin, and, and who is... Uh, um, Michael Murcock is very, very dear to my heart in a lot of ways because his... He, his background and his growing up and, and all the things that he did and and his his romanticism uh, is uh, it reflects my own feelings and uh, and we're very much uh, you know into romanticism in in uh, in uh, the Ordo Templi Astartes and we're you know, we've. Uh, you know, we've done articles on it, on it in the seventh ray, and and uh, we've done shows. We've done we've done shows on the Hermetic Hour discussing Hermetic philosophy in relation to Hermeticism. And this this Whispering Swarm is is just really uh, uh, I can't tell you how how delightful it was to read this, especially with uh, with my background and being being somewhat somewhat similar to uh, to Michael's. So. Um, to, to synopsize the book, as um, as well as a book like this can be synopsized, let's start with uh, start off talking about uh, young Michael Murcock being uh, growing up during World War II in London, and and as he mentioned several times, we survived uh, the V bombs and the Blitz. And uh, and uh, he he's he's really quite uh, was quite in a way traumatized by this. It was one of these things that that we have so you know these days with with our troops returning. That why why did we survive and other people didn't? You know, uh, and uh, but uh, young Michael and his family were very lucky because they 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 did. They did survive uh, the the London Blitz and and the uh, and the the V weapons that came after that and um, and that you know in a lot of ways that influenced their their coming politics uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, because the and this generation of his that that grew up out of this out of the war they were the ones who who. Uh, it, it kind of set the stage for the the peace movement, and uh, you know the uh, well. I'm not going to say the hippie movement exactly, but there was there was that aspect too. I, I think that that but the, me, you all remember the the peace sign, you know, and whatever. They, they, these, this is where this this sort of thing got started, and it was the the memory of living through that that horror of of those V bombs, uh, and then realizing that that they were Weapons like that were going to be used, could be used with atomic weapons. That uh, was kind of the birth of the peace movement. Now, it was also uh, the birth of uh, British socialism. Finally, got uh, got going in the aftermath of World War II, and uh, so um, Michael Murcock grew up in 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 the in the. Uh, uh, the era in which uh, you know Winston Churchill went out and, and the Labour Party came in and the socialists uh, uh, began to, to to take over the government and uh, and had, that did you know his his uh, his uh, as I say his intellect his politics went in that direction. However, that said, his mother was. Well, according to what he says here, she was part gypsy, and and uh, and she was an actress and and a, and a tarot reader, and she and she was a you know professional psychic and a, and a theatrical performer, and uh, and his father, according to this, according to this account, his father uh, went over to France during the war and and. Uh, and got hooked up with a with a French lady over there and stayed over there. Didn't didn't file for divorce, but just uh, decided to stay in France after the war. Which so basically, Michael was raised as a single as a single child growing up. And his mother his mother was very imaginative and and somewhat of a Baron Munchausen. 
In other words, she liked to tell all kinds of uh, wild stories about herself, and and uh, she apparently uh, was very, very creative in inventing, in, in mythologizing herself and her various uh, activities. And she read tarot cards for money, and she taught uh, she and her and uh, one of her one of Michael's uh, gypsy aunts taught him how to read tarot at a very early age, and so he. He had a, um, um, yeah, a very early introduction to what we might call the occult or the supernatural. Now, uh, he had a very, very active imagination, and this is where his romanticism comes in. Because uh, romantics, romantics are usually, uh, usually they do have, a very very uh, uh, vivid imagination, and they and they and they want to they, they they try they feel like they have a special a special uh, destiny you know to pursue or whatever, and uh, so uh, Michael Moorcock started off. Uh, he's a precocious reader when he was a kid, and he uh, and he. And he did uh, very similar to myself and and to uh, Lynn Carter, who uh, I grew up with. Uh, he started off with uh, with uh, he didn't say the Oz books. That's what we started with. We went from the Oz books to the Burroughs books, but but apparently uh, uh, uh skipped the Oz books and and uh, well, they were more American. And, and but he he really got into Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so. Uh, so um, yeah, about the time we were uh, in our youth, we're, we're discovering John Carter that he he did too, and of course it made quite an impression on him. And in fact, uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was one of the uh, one of the authors that really influenced him. And one of his first uh, first jobs, uh, his first publishing job was was producing uh, a, a a kind of a fan magazine. Called Tarzan's Adventures, and uh, and uh, this this actually finally got it, apparently it it started off as a sort of a fan magazine, but then it, it then it went uh, it went into a commercial publication, and uh, and he kind of grew up with it, and and ended up being the editor of it, both uh, both in its uh, fan aspect and also in its professional aspect. And he was very precocious and and uh, very good, very fast writer. Uh, he's one of these people. And, and, and now uh, Michael Moorcock uh, knew Lynn Carter, my, who was my mentor in this sort of thing. And uh, he knew Lynn Carter, but he he he, he and Lyndon didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. But one thing that apparently both of them, both of them were able to do, and that is sit down and envision a story and then screw white paper into the typewriter and sit down and bang out the story with uh, maybe just a little bit of white out maybe and, and, and all and, and, and do it. And, and they, they wrote fast. I mean, these, these guys, they, they, they imagined vividly and then they wrote, they wrote like lightning. Well, in those days, this was the pulp magazine era. And in those days, uh, you know, at, 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 at one penny a word, you better write fast if you want to make a living at it. And uh, and and Michael decided that he was going to. He had the ability, like the the pulp writers did, and and I sure didn't. Uh, it took me. Okay, it would take me something like um, six hours to produce. Uh, to produce uh, a couple of pages of usable script and, and with all the rewrite and everything, but uh, you know I never I never was as fast as these guys. I wanted to be, but I wasn't. And and Murcock was had the speed and he had the uh, the uh, uh, ability and and the imagination, especially with his background with his, his mother raising him, teaching him tarot and 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 uh, and uh, anyway he. Uh, so he he graduated from from amateur uh, fiction right on through to professional fiction, and he became uh, he was he was actually uh, making his living before he got out of his teens. He was making his living writing uh, writing fantasy fiction, adventure fiction, and in the in the in the, uh, in the you know the manner of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And so uh, this this is going on now. At, he has various 
romances and whatever that he covers in the book. But finally, finally, he finds a woman that he really wants to marry, and he and they get married, and and he has he has a couple of kids. Well, at when under the pressure of of, of trying to feed his family as a writer, and oh boy, uh, this this is. Uh, if you're if you're a professional fiction, especially a professional fiction writer, this is one of the hardest ways to make a living, um, and and uh, that you can imagine because, you know, you've got your you've got your imagination and your heart and soul in this work on the line, and 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 you know all an editor's got to do is look at it and say, oh, I don't think we could use this, and oh boy, you know, it's, it's I've been that I've been that route, and I know what it feels like. But anyway, Moorcock was. Successful, but under the strain and the pressure, um, he began to develop uh, what some people might call a mental illness. And I don't know, I think he thought it was, but what it was was a, 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 a whole swarm of voices speaking right inside his, like, like they were right inside his ear. Uh, they were voices, but they were inside. You know, they were they were voices in his head. He was hearing voices, and 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 they 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 weren't quite intelligible. They were sort of a, a kind of a, a whispering, and that's why he called it. He called the title of the book "The Whispering Swarm," because these these voices were um, were. Uh, they sounded like he could. It sounded like that you could you could figure out what they were saying, but you couldn't quite. Um, somebody did a video of me just recently. Uh, uh, did a did a kind of hypnotic swarm kind of video, you know, uh, distorting my voice, uh, and uh, uh, put this on the from from the the Solomon, uh, the Magic of Solomon video, and this is kind of, I imagine that this is, if you've seen that video, uh, it's called Polk Runyon, uh, um, Tillian Warlock or whatever, something like that, and if you've, if you've seen that and heard that, 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 uh, that's about what, what, uh, what, uh, Moorcock's swarm must have sounded like to him, but it, it, it frightened him, and, and it also, it drove him, it it drove him um, uh, to try to escape it, and what happened? At least the way the story goes. Now, at this point uh, in the story, at this point, we are going to enter uh, into Moorcock's, uh, into what you might call, or some people might call, his dream world, and and uh, the dream world which intersperses his real world. In the episode, he goes back and forth. Now, um, let me say this. Reviewers have not been kind to this book, which is unfortunate. It's unfortunate because this is really, really a very, very good book. It is a, it's a very significant book. It's a piece of literature. And, and, uh, and the reason is, is that, that uh, he, he evokes, with this experimental thing that he's doing here, he evokes... So much introspection while you're reading it. You, 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 you. He writes on. He writes this book on on two or three levels, as literature should be, uh, and yet at the same time you have to think on two or three levels while you're reading it. And and uh, and this is what makes it so good, because um, you're wondering as you read this, what, how much of this, how much of this is is um, is is metaphoric. How much of this fantasy that he's into is metaphoric? How much of it is 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 actually dreamlike? How much of it is uh, is actually possible? And 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 how much of it could be real? You don't know. And 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 it and it, the book, as I said, has a cumulative effect. It it actually what it does it produces its own swarm in the person who is reading it. And and uh, but anyway, he. Uh, he goes to uh, and being uh, working for a publishing company. He takes his own uh, uh, galley proofs and he goes to the typesetter. And once the galley proofs are corrected, 
he takes he takes them to the type center, and the type centers. This is all in London, by the way. And I want to want to say that now I, I've never been to London, and and uh, and uh, Lauren's going to take me there, you know. So, so, so I'm going to, but and London's a place I really, really do want to go. But uh, in London, uh, Moorcock really loves London. He 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 loves it. It's it's the city of his birth and his his adolescence, and he just loves London. And and this is a book that I'm sure those people who know London will appreciate it even more. But uh, he goes takes his galleys, his proof galleys to the to the typesetter to have them proofed, to have them have a typeset. And when he's there, he runs into this monk. And it's this this uh, brother Isidore, and he runs into the monk, and the monk, uh, uh, and the monk has that they have a little magazine that the monk uh, is there. He's there with his galley proofs, and uh, they the the abbey that the monk comes from uh, has a little magazine that they put out, and so he he gets to talking with the monk, and. Um, and they end up having tea, and and then they end up the monk, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, invites him to uh, the abbey, uh, which is in the sanctuary. We don't know what the sanctuary is yet, but but the monk is kind of mysterious, and and uh, and so, uh, but uh, Murkoff's kind of curious, and so uh, he uh, goes on. Well. They go in an old section of London, and and uh, it's kind of foggy. And they go down and down and, and to a, to a particular uh, 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 set of old buildings, and they find this great big gate, this big this big wooden gate, and uh, and and this is very very old. And the monk explains to him that that we're gonna. This is the sanctuary. And uh, and the monk explains that um, that back um, in in the Crusader era, when the Crusaders were finally pushed out of uh, out of uh, Holy Land. Uh, that was in the you know the uh, 12th, 13th century when they finally came out. That they that these Carmelite friars, uh, a a group of monks that lived in an abbey on Mount Carmel, uh, nominally Christian, were um, were given sanctuary in in London by by the king, uh, and they 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 came over. They were brought over all the way from uh, the Holy Land, and, and they could establish this little. Sanctuary and build their abbey inside uh, inside this little area in London. This was called the Alsacia, and uh, and it was uh, according to the king. The king gave them gave them protection under God, and protected the whole little community. It was like a little village, and uh, and and anybody that that got in there uh, could claim sanctuary. Yeah, uh, like the, you know, it's kind of like the old churches used to. If you could get inside the church, then you you were free from arrest until uh, and unless the unless the church would, would allow you to be arrested. You know, you you could, you could claim sanctuary. And uh, this was uh, the Alcesia was was a was a sanctuary for uh, for thieves and and uh, and for people that were, were were running from the watch and whatever. Uh, and also for these these monks that had been uh, expelled from the Holy Land by the by the by the uh, Saracens, and uh, so having explained that, uh, Father, uh, Brother Isidore says to young uh, Michael, he says, "Well, but but our our abbot our abbot would very much like to meet you." Didn't tell him why, but but uh, you know they. So they go into the sanctuary. Well, the sanctuary inside the sanctuary. It's like uh, it's like an old uh, it's like an old 17th century British village, uh, you know, with the overhanging uh, with the overhanging about well, not balconies, but the you know you you I'm sure you remember the Tudor type uh, those Tudor type buildings, you know, with the whitewash and the and and the and the and the, the black trim and whatever. So it's an old it's an old 17th century type village, uh, and 
And and and so uh, they go to the abbey. And over on the on, uh, across from the abbey, there is a tavern. And the tavern is called the Swan with Two Necks. And uh, and so they go to the abbey. And and Brother Isidore uh, introduces uh, Michael to the abbot. And the abbot's a very frail, an old man, uh, but with a lot of spiritual power. And uh, the um, the uh, the abbot just uh, talking about uh, about uh, the purpose of the sanctuary and the purpose of the abbey and all of this with Michael, and he brings out this machine. And the machine is is an armillary, and this armillary, uh, the the uh, the uh, the the abbot, they have this 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 armillary. That, that, you know, and I'll explain for those of you who don't know what armillary is. It's it's a it's a model of the solar system, a mechanical model of the of the solar system. Uh, with the sun in the center and the and the earth and and, and most armillaries in, in the old days were were geocentric, in other words the earth was and everything revolved around the earth, uh, and uh, so he brings out this armillary and says that it belongs to the prince, and the prince is the prince Prince Rupert of of, of the Rhineland, who is related to the king and and. Uh, as King Charles, uh, um, uh, who has just been defeated and captured by by Oliver Cromwell, that's that, that's the that's the political uh, aspect of this, and uh, and and the armillary uh, starts to, starts to revolve and starts to move, and the planets are going around the Earth and. And the armillary is doing its thing, his clockwork uh, mechanism. And and as Michael looks at it, stares at it, he becomes hypnotized and he becomes kind of sick to his stomach, and he becomes very dizzy. And 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 the swarm, by the way, has stopped as soon as he entered the sanctuary. So he got one in the door. As soon as he came in that gate, the swarm stopped whispering in his head. It was almost as if the swarm was trying to drive him into the into the sanctuary. What? But uh, here he is staring at this this armillary on the on the uh, on the abbot's desk, and and he's beginning to wonder if if um, he's beginning to wonder if they didn't if they'd put LSD in his tea that he had just had. Well, of course, this is ridiculous because LSD does not act that way, and and uh, but. Uh, you know, uh, he's struggling for some kind of an explanation as to why he feels the way he does, why why he has this weird, strange sensation that this armillary is causing him to uh, to to hallucinate, and uh, so he he backs away and 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 he and he goes he goes out and uh, he goes over to the to the tavern. The tavern is full of of cavaliers now. I'll explain a little bit here. Um, the British Civil War is is a, an event that was really horrific and had a lot of impact. It had a lot of influence on on uh, well a lot of a lot of things. The American Revolution and had influence on on the French Revolution. It it, it really uh, it kind of the 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 British Civil War uh, was. One of those things that one of those conflicts that that really it it set modern civilization in motion in many many ways, and the Masonic fraternity was one of the outgrowths of the of the British Civil War. The Masons got together to try to heal some of the wounds uh, that were caused by the British Civil War. Now, what the British Civil War was basically was a religious war between the Roman Catholics, which were the royalty and the nobility at that time, and the, uh, and the, uh, the Protestant movement. Uh, and this, uh, you know, this, uh, this uh, became a, a, a terrible, terrible thing with, with uh, 
Well, I, I don't know exactly the figures on how many people were killed, but it was it was really awful. And and the uh, the Puritans on on the side of Cromwell on the Roundheads, the Parliamentarians, and were absolutely against uh, royalty and against the king and against monarchy, and wanted to establish a republic and uh, and get rid of all of the nobility and the aristocracy and whatever, and especially get rid of the Catholic Church, and and. Uh, they uh, they they believed that the royalty and the Catholics and everybody were demonic. They 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 felt that that uh, that uh, Catholicism was 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 of the devil, and uh, and anyone and the king and the rest of all all the rest of these people. Now, uh, those of you who have seen Solomon Cain. You you get an idea uh, in Solomon Cain. Uh, there's all this demonology rising up out there in the hinterlands of, of of England, and this was really a reflection of the puritanical view of the nobility at that time. They thought they were all demons, and and uh, and they thought the apocalypse was coming and all that. So, if you're wondering about some of the symbolism in Solomon Cain, that it 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 is the aftermath. That horror that you see in Solomon Cain is the aftermath of the British Civil War. Uh, and uh, that, by the way, is a very good film. Um, and uh, which Moorcock did not write, but, but Moorcock did write, uh, he did write the screenplay for an Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, movie, which a friend of mine directed, called uh, the, the Land That Time Forgot. Uh, anyway, um, that's a little side note. But... Um, the uh, the British Civil War, as I said, was a was a uh, was really a conflict between between the uh, the Royalists who were who were Catholics and, and supported by the Pope and by and 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 the aristocracy against the Republicans who were primarily uh, they were primarily Puritans and Protestants and what have you, and uh, and this. Here is where, um, when when Moorcock, uh, who is now in this in this seventeenth century world, he goes over to the uh, to the uh, uh, the Swan with two necks, and the first thing the first thing he runs into is a beautiful young woman who rides in on horseback, and and, and she's a highway lady, uh, you know, a, a female highway highwayman. And uh, she's called Molly Molly Midnight, and she's a very romantic character, uh, flaming redhead and with a couple of pistols and a sword, and and uh, and she just really really takes a shine to, to Michael, and and uh, so she she enlists him in in her her adventures where she and a couple of these highwaymen, uh, famous characters from history. And 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 actually, and and they all go to and and, and with Michael, who uh, who was taught by the gypsies how to ride a horse, and so he, so he, she gets him on horseback, and they ride off, and they're going to and they're going to raid a a streetcar, and they're as if it was a coach, you know. They're going to raid a streetcar. So this is an anachronism. I mean, this is the streetcar is is from a hundred years later, but uh, this is where this thing starts to get really dreamlike, and you start to uh, because anachronisms like this are are more typical of dreams than they are of of uh, you know of some kind of a fantasy that's actually based on on something that's been read and researched and whatever. Uh, so they they're going to raid this uh, this electric streetcar full of full of um, uh, these fat cat businessmen, and uh, which they and they they do with flintlock pistols, you know, and all of this. They're complete anachronism, but they take the streetcar and and they and and they they uh, you know stand and deliver this kind of thing. They as if the streetcar is some sort of a coach. And four, but but uh, so this is a really weird situation. But um, but Burkhart really enjoys it, and and uh, and Molly, you know, is is sort of his sort of his ideal 
uh, female character uh, that he's that he uh, excuse me, his dream girl, fictional dream girl. And this is interesting because all of these writers, uh, including myself, always tend to create when we when we go to create a a, a, a fantasy lady. We love warrior women. We like to create warrior women. This is something that that we we really uh, really uh, get into. And and uh, and uh, so Molly Molly is is uh, is the sexy warrior warrior lady that uh, that Moorcock's dreams. And uh, then uh, from from that he from her he meets uh, her. She, he meets her uh, one-time lover, who happens to be Prince Rupert, the same guy who who owns the armillary that uh, the that the abbot showed him to, that showed to him, and uh, and uh, so uh, Murcock gets hooked up with the Cavaliers. Now, the Cavaliers uh, are are. You know, basically anti-Cromwell. They're they're, they're anti-Cromwell people, and King Charles Stuart has been arrested and imprisoned, and he is awaiting execution. Cromwell has ordered him ordered his head chopped off. Well, to these Cavaliers, this is is horrifying. My God, you you can't kill you can't kill the king. That's just unthinkable. And and so they are committed to rescuing the king. And they want, um, you know, they want um, Michael to help them. Now, the reason why they want Michael to help them is that they know that Michael can walk between the worlds. Michael is able to see the silver paths. Now, this kind of relates to the silver cord of occultism, as you know. But then again, on the other hand, you got to remember, Michael Moorcock, uh, regardless of how how much he fictionalized himself, is very, very steeped in all sorts of occult lore. So, but he can, he does, he understands this, um, uh, the, the, these, this, uh, these uh, silver pathways, and he can see them. So he can lead uh, he can lead um, these cavaliers in and out of various levels of the multiverse, or what uh, Shaver called the simultane. Uh, that and 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 he can he can lead, he can escape. This is almost like, in a way, it's almost like like Frodo putting on the ring and suddenly disappearing, you know. Uh, and Murkoch uh, Murkoch can walk between the worlds. And that's so they need him, and they really do. And of course, the abbot knows this too. So the abbot needs him, and the abbot's in on all of this, and they're all trying to save Charles Stuart. Now, quite frankly, King Charles doesn't deserve to be saved. And and finally, in the end of the book, we 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 realize that Charles realizes this himself. <laughs> uh, but um, the um, uh, this is the point. That the point is that these these cavaliers, who include, by the way, uh, uh, the three musketeers from Alexander Dumas, they are D'Artagnan and and Arthos and and, and Porthos and, and and the regular characters, and they're they've come alive. And this is very kind of dreamlike, and yet they uh, they're very realistic. Now, so uh, what's happening while all this is getting set up? Uh, Michael is going back, and 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 he's going back and going back to his job and his wife and his family and his kids, and and he's doing his job, but but you know when the pressure, the job pressure and the family pressure and everything gets uh, gets too much, then the swarm starts starts whispering, and the only way he can quiet the swarm is to go back to the sanctuary. And and so he can go back to the sanctuary and escape into this into this other world that he has. And of course, what we wonder, and he wonders too. Now, uh, because Murcock is uh, very steeped in Hermetic lore and also in Hermetic philosophy, he wonders: Am I creating all this myself? Is this is this my my personal uh, is this this 
uh, world, my personal creation. Well, that certainly is uh, uh, something that uh, somebody somebody familiar with hermetic philosophy would certainly uh, think that, because uh, you know uh, you're you're the center of the universe, and 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 sure you can you can create another world. And uh, and by the way, I I uh, and in the, along that line, I think. Uh, having having created a fantasy world myself, and 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 uh, and, and with uh, uh, under the tutelage of Lynn Carter, who wrote the book on how to create fantasy worlds, and and uh, I, I this this is a real real magical operation is to create your own world, and of course Moorcock has done it over and over and over again. He's 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 a wonderful world creator, and so he's wondering. He's wondering while all this is going on: Is this my creation? Are these are these are these people all my creation? I just put them in here because I like them, and 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 and, I, and putting and taking in these other characters. And of course, he's also wondering. Um, he's wondering if he's crazy, and he's wondering if he's uh, if. And uh, his wife keeps telling him to go to a psychiatrist, so he does, and the psychiatrist can't do anything for him at all. And uh, you know, so. Uh, um, he's he's really really, um, and he's also as uh, as uh, I mentioned earlier, he's also very conflicted about about his own politics, his liberal politics, his his socialist ideals, and his and his agnosticism because he just you know um, these rational humanists. Intellectuals, you know, God is God is the enemy. You know, that's a superstition, and and really, what we see in this whole book, we see this whole book in a way is Michael Moorcock trying to find God. That's part of it. He's trying to number one, he's trying to reconcile his basic romanticism, his the romanticism of his heart. And the and the the rational humanism of his of his intellect, and he's trying to reckon these two conflicting uh, positions. He is struggling with them, and and that's really the 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 theme of the book is the struggle between these two aspects of him. And uh, so anyway, uh, to go on with the with the story, he he finally his wife he finally. Gets to the point where um, where he tells his wife, "Yeah, I just you know I just have to get away. I, I got to get away, and I'm going to be away for a while, and and uh, just going to go on a retreat and, and and write a book and whatever." And so what he does, what he decides to do, is to go into the sanctuary and uh, and and just stay there until he until he gets this whole thing figured out, until he figures out what the sanctuary is and what his relationship to it is and who he is and whatever. And he moves in with Molly Midnight. And But the interesting thing about this is is that when he first met Molly, he was about 17 years old on his first venture into the sanctuary. And then he comes back. He comes back and he is... Uh, He's in his in his almost thirty when he when he when he returns and decides to go in there and stay in there until he finds out what's going on. And then Molly is still seventeen or maybe eighteen years old. She hasn't aged hardly at all. He has, but she's still uh, a young woman, very young woman. And and uh, then he realizes that the same thing that people in the sanctuary don't age. They 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 have biblical they 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 have biblical ages, and so this is even more strange for him. And yet these people seem to be totally totally realistic. Also, don't seem to suffer uh, suffer wounds. They can be stabbed and shot, and they can recover very very quickly. Um, and he has a lot of uh, action, you know, especially against the Puritans. Um, and uh, but he's not himself. He's not convinced that he is immune to to uh, their their uh, assaults. But he knows that, that the others, that, 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 that the people who live in the sanctuary, do have this this healing capability. And anyway, he he 
he takes up with Molly, and and they they get a room in the in the in the, in the tavern in the in the Swan with Kunex, and 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 they're living together now. So we end up with actually having a a having a series of domestic um, situations with Molly. Now this is very very interesting. Because you remember I said that as we, as, you, as the reader reads this book, as you read this book, there's a part of your mind that is continually wondering how much of this is supposed to be real and how much of this is supposed to be metaphoric, how much of this is supposed to be symbolic. What well, just exactly what am I reading here? You know, your you, your mind is working as you read the book. Your mind is working on on two or three levels. And and uh, and and one of the things with with Molly, so he's he, he's sitting in there with Molly, uh, and they're living, they're 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 having a domestic uh, relationship, and uh, and and you know, and she's rolling him a joint. Point. I'm thinking as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, wait a minute here, this is not this this is not not a fantasy. This is this is this is him with a real woman. And maybe eighteen years old or whatever she is, she's a real woman, and uh, and this is uh, he's uh, uh, this is this is you know this is, is something something I'm reading here happened really did happen and and, and and he's putting it into these terms. So what's going on here? Do we have? Uh, and I thought at the time, I thought about uh, the the people here in Southern California that I knew who were trying to live and. To live the Renaissance fair on uh, 24 hours a day all the time, and you know, got people who belong to the Society for Creative Anachronism, and and people who were living a fantasy life, and a lot of them were smoking a lot of dope, and and uh, and so I began to wonder: is this what is this what this sanctuary is all about? Is this some kind of a little Ren fair kind of a thing tucked away inside London? Uh, and and are they are they are they all are they all living in here, kind of living their fantasy lives, or, or what's going on here? Are we are we doing role playing or what? Uh, and, and you know you you keep wondering these things as you're reading this. You don't know. And of course, I think Moorcock. I know and I you know I love Moorcock's work, and I and I and I, and I really do. I think Moorcock intends you. To think exactly these things, I think he he wants you to have these kind of reactions. He wants you to ponder about this. Now let me, uh, um, and you also wonder, guy going crazy? Is, is this is, is he going crazy? And, and 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 is he trying to show you what it's like to go crazy? And the next thing here is is that I want to. Point out, Lon Duquette and I uh, had a had a show a few uh, a few weeks ago, and Lon was talking about uh, about a book that he that he'd edited uh, called uh, uh, the the Wiser Book of of of, uh, of terror, of horror stories, I think, and and we got to talking about uh, about Robert Chambers, the author that that most of these people read Lovecraft. Don't even have the faintest idea who Robert Chambers is, but he had a, quite an influence on Lovecraft, and he wrote a book uh, called The Yellow Sign. And there's a uh, the book, the, the story of The Yellow Sign, and most especially the first one in the Yellow Sign series, it's called the the Repairer of Law, uh, the Repairer of Reputations. That's the name of the story. And this is a story about a book. That if you read it, it'll drive you insane. And this is, ah, there have been several different spin-offs from this. You know, uh, somebody actually did one just recently on American Horror Story. I think about about a a movie that someone created, a film, a French a French film had to be a French film that would drive you insane if you saw it. And and uh, that was a spin-off on on Chambers. Repair of reputations, which, but the 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 important thing about that, the reason why I'm digressing to mention this, is that as you read Repair of Reputations, 
you're reading it from the point of view of the protagonist. Same thing here that you're doing with uh, Murcock in uh, in uh, the, the, the Swarm. And as you read the book, as you read The Repair of Lost Reputations by Chambers, you become aware that you are you are reading this from the point of view of the protagonist who is going insane. You realize this. It, the process of him going insane. And this, I think, had maybe had some influence on Murcock the way he wrote the way he wrote this, because you wonder as you read, he wonders, and he wonders, am I going crazy? And in fact, at one point, he even wonders if 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 he's um, if he's in a Philip K. Dick novel. <laughs> and and uh, and of course, Philip K. Oh, I, which makes me wonder why are my why are my favorite writers of fantasy? Why are they crazy? I I love Richard Shaver, I love Michael Moorcock, and I love Philip K. Dick. <laughs> so yeah, so let's let's hear it let's hear it for the for the for the nutty fantasy writers. But anyway, this is what's really really uh, uh, neat about this. Anyway, uh, he's wondering. Now here's here's Molly Midnight. His his um, his 17th century, 18th century dream girl, rolling in the joint in the sanctuary, in the in the tavern. And now is this a real joint? And is this a real? Uh, are we? Are we? Uh, and of course, naturally, pot doesn't produce this sort of thing. But 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 it could it could it could produce a lifestyle that that would try to replicate it. Yeah yeah that that's that's quite possible. So um, anyway. Um, to get on with the uh, with the story and the and the the, uh, the significance of what's going on, uh, Prince Rupert, who was who was King Charles' general before uh, uh, the Cromwellians defeated uh, the Royalists, uh, Prince Rupert bound to determine that he's going to rescue Charles Stuart, the king. You can't have. We absolutely cannot have have these 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 parliamentarians cut off the king's head. This is unthinkable, and so we have to, uh, you know, we have to we have to rescue. And this is a romantic proposition, very definitely, because you know, I mean, uh, the king is ordained by God, and if you're a romantic. Uh, then, then you're going to identify with the king because he has God's mandate. And and how can how can how can these great unwashed hooligans? How can they possibly uh, dare to kill the king? This is unthinkable. Uh, this, by the way, is the same attitude as the mad Baron Ungern Sternberg in in the 1920s in, in in Russia in the aftermath of the Russian Revolution. The same attitude exactly, you know. Um, and uh, the the idea is is that that monarchy, regardless of whether the king is is right or wrong, the king is the king, and that's it. And and, and we're going to we're going to defend the king. So uh, so Michael Murcock, who is in the real world very much of a socialist, very much of a of a, of a um, you know a, a libertarian, and not a libertarian, but very much of a socialist liberal. Don't don't say libertarian. That's right wing. Okay. <laughs> But uh, uh, very much of a, of a of a socialist and and uh, and, uh, and an agnostic. But his romantic side, he sides with uh, the Three Musketeers and Prince Rupert, and uh, and of course Molly. They get Molly involved in it too, and she's going to distract the guards, which she's real good at doing, and they're going to rescue the king. And their plan is that they're going to substitute. Uh, a, a Republican uh, scoundrel who they have they have captured and and, and gotten and gotten staggering drunk, and they're going to substitute him for the king. He looks kind of like the king, and so they're going to dress him up like the king, and then they're going to lead him out and let them chop his head off. And of course, he's one of the he's one of the royalists anyway, so it's a it's kind of a, you know it's it's just kind of poetic justice as far as that's concerned, but. So they go. They go through all this intrigue and everything, and all of this, this uh, cloak and dagger stuff to get all the way into the king, to get all the way in 
and 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 the king, and then tell the king, get in there and your majesty, we're going to take you to France. We got a we got a brig out there in the in, in the river, and we're gonna we're gonna smuggle you out. We're gonna get you off to France, and uh, and we're gonna take this riverbay here and and put your clothes on him, and and he's gonna get chopped his head chopped off. But then. And this is where <laughs> this is where Murcock really, really throws a curve at you. Charles refuses. He says no. He says I'm going to go ahead. I've been sentenced to death, and and that's what the people want. And I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to go ahead and let them. I'm going to die well, and and please tell my wife, you know, in France that I died well, and and remember and. Uh, yeah, of course, Prince Rupert is just oh my gosh, you know, here gone through all of this and 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 uh, and walked between the worlds and everything else to try to get this done. And the king and the king doesn't want doesn't want to be rescued. And and that of course has its own philosophical aspect to it. Um, but there's another character in this in this story that I think I should mention. That there is this Captain Saint Clair. Who is, who is kind of a cavalier, but he is on the side of Cromwell. He's actually a, a roundhead. He's on the side of Cromwell, but he, but he is he on a couple of occasions he rescues or, or saves Michael from a couple of these uh, uh, Cromwellian bully boys that are that are going to going to ambush Michael. And Saint Clair comes along and rescues him. And rescues Michael and takes him to the tavern. And Saint Clair and 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 Michael realizes that Saint Clair thinks Saint Clair is his friend. And and uh, yet he knows he's a he knows he's a Cromwellian. But but Saint Clair says, "Well, I'm my own man. I I don't think you deserve to die, and that's why I'm helping you." So he uh, uh, but then after they they uh, the king goes off to be executed. They try to make their escape, and uh, the, uh, the cavaliers do, Prince Rupert, and, and uh, they try to make their escape. And this St. Clair is their pursuer, and he's leading the Cromwellian, the Cromwellian, even the bully boys that he rescued uh, Michael from, and, and Michael becomes absolutely furious because he thinks this guy's betrayed him. And Finally, finally, uh, right before Michael thinks that they're going to kill him, St. Clair comes up and takes him by the arm and says, no, no, this is, you know, and he walks away with him uh, and right through the round heads and, 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 and at this point, himself realizes this, Michael Moorcock does, but certainly the reader realizes, if the reader has been closely following all of this, the reader realizes that St. Clair is Michael Moorcock himself. This is his own alter ego. He is a Cromwellian, but at the same time, he's going to, <laughs> and, and 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 he's he's the other he's the other side of Michael rescuing rescuing Michael. This is why this book is so wonderful. I mean, this book has this book has just really it, it this book is a piece of literature, and uh, and I just think that the, some of the reviewers who who just don't understand what's going on here? Um, they 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 really need to take another look at this book. This this book is really now uh, the next thing. The next one, and this is just the first volume of the the White Sanctuary. This is just the first one. In the next volume, Prince Rupert is the hero, and he's going to go to Africa. Uh, like the Puritan Solomon Cain did, he's going to go to Africa, and he's going to team up with Prester John, and they're going to fight the kings of the Congo. And I can't wait for that one, oh boy! And uh, so that—that's what's coming up next in the in the uh, in the White Friars series. Anyway, I think that, as I said, for those of us. Uh, who are uh, those of us who are hermetic romantics 
and love good magical fantasy and magical fiction, this is the, the Whispering Swarm, and especially if you like writers that are a bit nutty, <laughs> that this is one really to read. And uh, and uh, next week, uh, week, I think we're going to talk about uh, about Lemuria. We got uh, we, we're working on a on a channel Lemurian work here, and, and so we're gonna we're gonna give uh, we're gonna give. I think next week that's what we're gonna work on, and uh, we'll talk about the whole Lemurian situation, um, and in mythology and and, uh, and 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 in in occult lore. So until then, uh, good magic, and we'll see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.